This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Ultimately, I look at it and think, I really don't want to leave a lot of years on the table. When I walk away from this life, I want to feel that I took advantage of every opportunity that I had, that I lived as long as I could, and I lived as well as I could. Hello and welcome to the Llama Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama, Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Well today, something different. We're recording this episode live at the Podcast Movement Gathering here in Anaheim, California. More than 2,000 fellow podcasters sharing ideas, technical wisdom, listening to talks, handing out awards, meeting sponsors, and lots and lots of networking. The Llama Podcast has set up shop here in the Podcast Pavilion, and for the next 25 minutes or so, we will talk longevity. My guest is Bob Teigenhoff. Bob is a nutritionist and fitness coach at the Integrative Medical Group of Irvine, just down the road from here, which is where Bob is the director of the Centre for Active Lifestyle Medicine. Bob, welcome to the Llama Podcast. Thank you. So when I say longevity, what does that mean to you? I think longevity is a matter of not only how long you live, but also how well you live. There's been a lot of focus, uh, certainly in, in uh, the, the U.S., on extending life. And I think that over the last number of years, maybe 10, 15 years, what we've seen is a, a slow increase in the length of uh, time people live. But at the same time, we've seen an even in, uh, accelerated risk or period of time during which we have disability. And so we're seeing a... A uh, little bit of a paradoxical situation in which longevity is increasing, but healthy lifespan is decreasing. And I think certainly for us in, in our practice, it's a matter of seeing what can we do to reverse that trend. And if, in fact, people are going to live longer, how can they also live better and have a, a healthier, more vital, enjoyable life? You have spent much of your life and your career actually in the advertising business and then made the decision to change and move into health and fitness. What prompted uh-huh. that change? Well, I think that um, fitness, health has always been an integral part of, um, of my life and the way I've, I've led my life. A lot of our clients, when I had my own advertising agency, were in the healthcare industry. So we stayed intimately connected with it uh, through that. And I had the opportunity to exit the anxiety-filled world of advertising a number of years ago. I took that opportunity, sold the agency, and moved over to the, uh, the healthcare industry, where I uh, sort of found a natural home and uh, began working with a medical group that believed strongly in the value of lifestyle medicine. Was the retraining challenging for you? It was probably the most interesting part of it was that you end up anecdotally acquiring a lot of knowledge and information over the years, probably half of which is wrong, but you don't know which half is right, which half is wrong. So one of the th- things that, um, that we decided to do when I talked to the people at the Integrative Medical Group 
was for me to go back to college for a year and actually find out what the science really says about healthcare and longevity rather than simply parrot what old high school coaches, uh, what uh, misguided wisdom they had passed down to people and what you had accumulated along the way. And so you, bec- you become much more sensitive to doing what is scientifically proven rather than what uh, than simply extending your own personal experience into the lives of other people. But you've always, in terms of your own physical fitness, you've always lived the life, haven't you? Yes, yes. Um, I started uh, very young. Uh, I lifted weights at a young age. I wrestled in high school and college, did a little bit of uh, rowing. And really, after the college years, continued with running and a little bit later, as running took its toll on my knees, as it does for an awful lot of people, I ended up moving more heavily into weightlifting. And uh, eventually, uh, I guess about two or three years ago, because I missed running so much, I retrained and retaught myself how to run in more of a barefoot style, where the the compression and the, the impact on the knees is a, a lot less than it is under the traditional running style. And so I've been very, very pleased with the fact that I can now probably run about 40 minutes or so and be pain-free. You are 68 years old. It, I think, is fair to say that you have the physique of someone much younger. Well, actually, there's a a website that's run by a Norwegian university, and they have an online uh, neat little program that allows you to calculate your physical age versus what you uh, what is your chronological age. Have you tried it? I have tried it. I am as as interested and as uh, as much of a sucker for that sort of thing as anybody else. And in fact, um, according to their website, at any rate, and there's there's actually quite a bit of science behind it. Um, according to their website, I am 32 years old. And how does it calculate that? What does it measure? Uh, or, or what measure- stats does it ask you to input? Right. There's, there's a series of probably only um, half a dozen, dozen questions, but they ask things like, what is your resting heart rate? Uh, how often do you exercise during the course of a week? What is your height, your weight? So they're able to calculate BMI, uh, body mass index from that. And a number of other questions that are relatively easy to answer. So you don't need to go into an exercise laboratory or anything else in order to get the data for this. But they found very strong correlations between the answers to some of these simple questions and the cardiorespiratory fitness levels, which are typically measured by VO2 max, the amount of oxygen that you consume at maximum um, exertion. So give me an an idea. You say you frequently lift weights four times a week. Give me an idea of your weekly regime. So um, on a weekly basis, I I actually have a schedule that uh, allows me to work out seven days a week. Uh, Whether or not that happens in any given week is a little bit of a risky calculation. There are some weeks where I get all seven days in, uh, other weeks where there's travel, there are other obligations, other things come up. Uh, But if I miss a day or two per week, I still have lots that I've been able to do, and so I I still feel uh, pretty good about it. 
On Mondays, I do upper body weightlifting. On Tuesdays, I do lower body weightlifting. On Wednesday, I have a high-intensity exercise aerobic uh, program that I do, and then I follow that with uh, 30 minutes of fairly intense running. So it's about, it's a little, uh, it's right around an hour worth of uh, running and elliptical machine. And then on Thursday, I'll do weightlifting upper body again. On Friday, I will do another elliptical uh, routine. Then on Saturday, that's the, uh, the one day I overlap a little bit, and I do lower body again and do some aerobics. And then on Sunday, it's a very long aerobic session. Would you describe yourself as extreme? Um, I wouldn't. My wife would. Uh, <laughs> well, let's say by most people's standards. You know, that it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think by most standards, um, and there certainly are... World Health Organization and U.S. Surgeon General recommendations, they run about 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise, comes to about 30 minutes a day, five days a week. And then the recommendation is that you do two to three sessions of weight training. Uh, In addition to that, that's generally recognized as a minimum to be healthy. And in all of those instances, there's a recognition that you can as much as double that and still continue to get much, much more benefit from it. So I guess I have a tendency to look at exercising for an hour to two hours a day as more or less normal for the level of activity we evolved to have. So I think it's just normal living. And I'm curious because I, I started by asking you what your concept of, of longevity is and, and how it focuses your mind because obviously for the vast majority of people the kind of exercise regime that you do is Mm -hmm. unattainable it it, it isn't possible or or even desirable within their lifestyles and I'm curious where you stand in terms of uh, enthusiasm for longevity and the the, the degree to which you think about longevity compared Mm -hmm. with most people well I think I look at longevity and and I think that um I have spent an awful lot of my life working very hard, both uh, for educational attainment and being economically successful in a variety of different areas. And ultimately, I look at it and think, I really don't want to leave a lot of years on the table. When I walk away from this life, I want to feel that I took advantage of every opportunity that I had that I lived as long as I could and I lived as well as I could. So you're seeking what we often talk about, that health span, that good health span, the healthy years when you optimize your health as opposed to lifespan where the final few years could be not particularly pleasant. Absolutely, absolutely. uh, We often talk about squaring the curve. So instead of having this very long extended lifespan that degrades uh, very slowly over time or precipitously over time and then drags out for years and years at a very low level, it's uh, far preferable to live at a very high level of uh, vitality up until the very end and then shortly before the end things start to go uh, south for you and then it's over. 
And what do you, of everything that you do, and clearly you're very diet conscious as well, you, are a, you work as a dietitian within the practice and you advise patients on their diet and you work out a lot. And it, it, this is about lifestyle as much as, mm-hmm. as anything else. I'm curious, what aspects of your lifestyle do you think are, are most significant in terms of your good health? Well, I think without doubt and... The research seems to back this up um, time and time again. Diet and physical activity exercise are the primary pillars of a healthy lifestyle. We certainly recognize that stress level can play an important role. Probably for most people, it's a minor role. It can attain and assume an absolutely overwhelming role for some people if they're consumed by stress. We know that uh, addictive behaviors, smoking, uh, alcohol consumption, drinking, that can end up being the uh, huge negative impact on life. But I think for the vast majority of people, trying to maintain a a good diet and a reasonable amount of exercise are the keys to having a really healthy lifestyle. You mentioned stress. That interests me. It's often one of the most difficult things, aspects of people's lives to actually take control of. You might be aware that you are stressed, whether mm-hmm. it's at home or at work, whatever aspect of your life is causing you heartache or brain ache or whatever stress it is. How do you deal with that? Well, I think there are two types of stress. There is the immediate acute sense of stress where you are perhaps driving down the road, somebody cuts you off, you're very, very upset, you're very angry. Dealing with that stress is one sort of thing. It's totally different when you're dealing with the stress of a, an intimate relationship that you may feel unable to break out of and, and is much more uh, difficult to work with. So for the acute types of stresses, I use breathing exercises. They're very effective in terms of, of eliminating immediate stress. I think the longer-term acute stress that's relationship-related is a much, much more challenging type of stress to deal with. And there, yeah, probably people need to find professional help. Does it help to have a supportive partner? Absolutely. Um, and if you find one, let me know. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, is she listening? I'm kidding there. I hope not. Um, it's hugely important to have um, support within your life, people who can work with you in, in terms of getting through stressful incidents. None of us are immune. We all are subject to it. We all have to deal with it. And having support is a, a huge benefit in all of that. Interesting. I just want to pause at this point to thank TalkShoe for sponsoring this live recording of the Llama podcast. TalkShoe is a unique website for people to participate in live, interactive podcasts called Community Calls. You can find it more at TalkShoe.com. And thanks also to Shure for providing beautiful-sounding microphones that we're using for this live recording at Podcast Movement. You can check out their website at Shure.com. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com. Now, Bob, part of your job is coaching patients and helping them with uh, quite a a new kind of diet, a a periodic 
fasting regime. This is something I've talked about on the podcast quite a lot because I've tried it myself. I was involved in a clinical trial at USC with Dr. Walter Longo. And if you want to find out more about that, we talk about it in detail in episode one of the podcast. It's now a diet that is being used by nutritionists and, and doctors around the world. And your practice is one of those that has started to use it with patients. So what has your experience been? Uh, well, in fact, we were, to my knowledge, the first medical practice to begin working with Dr. Longo in terms of making this available to the patient, uh, patient population in our practice. It is challenging. That goes without saying. It takes commitment. It takes dedication. It is a long-term solution, so it is unlike the expectation that a lot of people have of well, I do this once and then I'm done, right? And the answer, of course, is no, that, that just like food, you, you don't eat enough food and then you're done. You don't have to eat anymore. Fasting, uh, which is sort of the flip side of eating and nutrition, is also something that needs to be done on a periodic basis. And in order to main the, retain the amazing benefits that one gets from fasting, it really has to be repeated on a somewhat consistent basis, perhaps once every three months, something like that. Maybe we should just describe, Bob, what this five-day regime involves. Well, the five-day regime is characterized as a fasting-mimicking diet with the emphasis on the mimicking in that we know from years and years of research that a four-day water-only type of fasting program results in a whole series of amazing benefits in virtually every organ system in the body. The immune system is rejuvenated. The incidence of cancer seems to be very, very dramatically reduced. Brain function, cognition improves dramatically. All of these things take place, but the problem that we face with these long-term, four-day, typically water-based fasting programs is that, number one, they can be challenging in terms of safety. Typically, when you do a program like that, it's a residential program. You check into a clinic. There are physicians on staff. You're being checked on a regular basis because for anyone in a even slightly compromised fashion, if things start to go badly, they can go badly very quickly, and you and safety becomes a, a very big issue with that. Secondly, we have the issue of whether or not it is enjoyable and acceptable. And for most people, not eating food for four days is a very, very difficult thing to do. So the Is that the biggest challenge that you've noticed that people simply can't sustain it or have trouble sustaining it over a, a number of days? Not really. I mean, I, I think, again, the idea of having food within the five-day period is uh, certainly makes it a much easier thing to do. There are, moment, there are moments within that five-day period when most people will have pangs of hunger and, and uh, it'll be a little bit of discomfort, <laughs> but I think most people find it very reasonable, very relatively easy to do, and they, um, they come through in, in fine fashion seems to be about a third of people who do the fasting mimicking diet breeze right through it, have no problems whatsoever. About a third of people have 
moments of hunger, and then a third of people really struggle, and those are the ones that we work with on a day-to-day basis to uh, give them the support they need in order to get through the program. And are you yourself, having witnessed the experience of your patients, are you Mm -hmm. yourself convinced that it is doing them some good? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We see a lot of very dramatic metabolic improvement in our patients who do the fasting-mimicking diet. We will typically do a metabolic reset detoxification program before in order to maximize the benefit of the fasting-mimicking diet. But taken together, we have seen some people who have had very, very dramatic results. And typically, it's the patient who will come to the practice and say, I don't know what's going wrong, but I have been gaining weight now. I haven't changed the amount of food that I eat. I haven't changed my physical activity. I don't understand what's going wrong. It's terribly unfair. The world is against me. And we'll put them on a program like this, and miraculously, they suddenly they start losing weight again. And it's very gratifying to see that people who have sort of descended into a somewhat hopeless area in their lives now reemerge and can see that, in fact, there is light at the end of the tunnel and things can get better. And of course, as I've mentioned many, many times before, this kind of regime and others like it, they're not just about weight loss. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We have a number of people who do the program purely for the increased cognition. They're frustrated with what they refer to as brain fog, this sense of, I don't have the energy that I had before, I can't think as clearly, there are times of the day when I just can't concentrate very well, and when they go through the fasting-mimicking diet program a couple of times, suddenly that reverses, and they feel much, much sharper and much, much more in control of their lives. One question I often get, and there's a lot of confusion amongst people about different diets and it's a huge problem for the industry people will see a a newspaper article or television piece or whatever it is about a a ketogenic diet about a vegetarian diet about a mediterranean diet a vegan diet a pescatarian diet Mm -hmm. and the information overload and often conflicting information overload just leaves people i think exasperated and and very very confused in your role how do you deal with that there are some commonalities between all of those. And we followed each one of those schools of nutritional thought for probably the last five to 10 years. What we've seen is a uh, sort of a high level growth of commonality in the sense that none of them are going to recommend non-organic foods as a terrific idea. So organics is something that they've all coalesced around. None of them are going to see added sugars as a good thing. Even the people who are high-carbohydrate diets, they will always say, oh, by the way, we don't really mean sugar, even though sugar is a carbohydrate. Even the people who promote animal uh, protein as a key element in the diet, they, won't talk, they will make the distinction between grass-fed beef and animals that are not contaminated in these large concentrated animal feed lots. So there's a, a greater sense of concern and awareness of the quality of the type of food that they're, they're talking about. 
And so I think to a certain extent, and this, this allows people to make some choices and decisions on their own, you can probably do almost any one of those diets and be much better than what you were before if you uh, simply adopt some common rules that uh, govern your approach to that diet. For someone who lives and breathes this stuff, this is your life, this is your, has been your lifestyle for, for many, many mm-hmm. years. You clearly believe very strongly in, in what you do in terms of your own health and fitness and longevity. Looking to the future, do you have goals as far as your own life is concerned? We've talked about health span versus lifespan, but I'm wondering, often a lot of people in the business of, of longevity have very specific ideas as to where they would like to see them themselves decades in the future? Well, I think for me, it is, it's um, all about the quality of life. I will probably do anything and everything I can in order to avoid disability. Even when, you, when you're involved in a very active lifestyle, it doesn't make you immune from injury. Uh, we all get injured and it's a matter of finding alternative ways of dealing with that, of maintaining high levels of activity and simply avoiding certain types of movement, certain things like that. So I would see myself as being uh, very active, very late into my life. I really have no desire to retire and sit on the front porch for year after year after year. That I, seems I hear terrible. that a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is, it's about maintaining and leading a very active lifestyle because I think that's where you get maximum joy out of life. And that's precisely to my next point. What is it about living long and, and living well that motivates you? As you get out of bed in the morning, mm-hmm. what do you live for? Well, I, one of the things that I ask my clients to do is a- answer three questions. And they're the three questions that I ask myself. And, and so I think it's relevant to the question you've asked. Number one, do I love living? Do I love life? Does, do I, when I get up in the morning, do I just, I'm amazed that I can open my eyes and see this incredible world. That, that's an, a, an extraordinary gift. And if the answer to that is yes, then I ask a second question, do you love your life? The life that you have built over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the relationships you have, the people you know, the the job you have maybe, all of those elements, do you, are you really fond of those? Do you really love them? And, and again, if the answer to that is yes, then I think your motivation to keep going is going to be very, very strong. The last question I think you need to answer is, do I love myself? Do I love the person that I have become? Do I cherish my honesty? Do I cherish the personality that I have? Is it what I want it to be? And I think when you, can, when you can get to the point that you can answer in the positive to all three of those, then you have all the motivation you need in order to maintain your interest in life and your interest in living a good lifestyle and the motivation you need to do all of those things, because why would you want to give it up? And as you look around, we're at this event here. We're surrounded by people, people of all sorts of different persuasions and ambitions and and motivations in their own individual lives. Is that aspect, the loving yourself aspect of life, something that you notice in other people that's missing quite a lot? Uh, Yeah, because I think that, that for an awful lot of people, they are focused on 
other things than the inward-looking eye that says, what is my life and what is my, is my life worth living? And I think we have a tendency to focus on things, um, not that they can be ignored, but we overemphasize things like success, monetary success, and we sometimes lose the value of doing things that are perhaps more important, of, of nourishing and cherishing the relationships we have with other people and, and uh, focusing on the value that we bring to their lives as well. And in the 68 years that you've been on this planet and the wisdom that you've acquired over those years, is there one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self, the 20-year-old yeah. Bob? <laughs> I suppose that if I could go back and change anything, I would, on the one hand, tell myself to be a little bit more careful in some of the, some of the activities I, get, I engaged in, because certainly any of the injuries, any of the harm, they, um, they don't disappear as you get older. They have a tendency to hang around and make life a little bit more challenging than they otherwise would be. So these are sporting activities? Yes, absolutely. Um, but on the other hand... I'm thinking there are worse things when you're 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I avoided most of them, not all of them, but you know, I, I also think that having a life filled with challenge and exciting new things has tremendous value in itself as well. So to avoid all risk would be foolish, I think, to be a little bit more careful in some of the risk that you took versus others. Yeah, sure, we can all look backwards and say, well, that was really stupid, and I would have done it differently had I known, but that's life. Bob, this has been a fascinating conversation. We are sadly out of time, but my thanks to Bob Tagenhoff for joining me here in Anaheim. Thanks also to Steve Stewart and all the guys at Podcast Movement for making this possible. It's been a lot of fun. And a reminder that there are lots of ways to listen to us. We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play Music. Our website is llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. You can get in touch from there or via one of our social sites. We're at Llama Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you're here in the hall and you've been taking pictures, please send them to me and I will post them everywhere. The Live Long and Master Aging podcast returns next week with another interview recorded here at Podcast Movement. I'll be talking to Alison Melody from the Food Heals podcast and I think, in fact, I know that we have a lot in common. Bob, thank you very much. It's really been fun. Thank you, Peter. It's been my pleasure. And uh, next week we'll be talking with Alison all about film, fitness and food. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a Flexbeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.